0: This is An Economy of One, your beacon guiding you through the turbulent waters of the political economy. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun.
1: Joining me now is the Chief Investment Officer over our Office of Private Wealth Consultants, Shams Opsil. Shams, welcome back. Good to be here. You know, we always have you come in At the end of earnings season, my understanding is the last couple weeks, the earnings have been coming in from the second quarter. Let's start with a 10,000-foot view. Overall, generically speaking, how's the earnings look from the second quarter? looks pretty good actually
2: I mean it only pales compared to q1 which was which knocked it out of the park we had high expectations going in and uh, after all said and done it clocked in at nearly 16% earnings growth year over year that was q1 that was first quarter that was first quarter okay Uh, the second quarter is coming in at just over 10% year over year year over year Wow okay so uh, it's significantly strong Uh, some of the underlying information also is positive so if you start taking a look at how these companies generally tend to behave over a five-year period what percentage of companies beat earnings uh, versus those that beat earnings as well as revenue, which is a little bit of higher bar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, both those instances, the
1: companies in the second quarter beat the five year average nicely. Let's get a clarification because there's a difference between beating expectations and positive earnings. If I expect a company to lose five cents a share, and they lose $0.04 a share, Right. technically they beat expectations, but they still lost money. That is correct. And you are
2: seeing that uh, as of today, especially uh, today, given that Macy's, Kohl's, uh, Dillard's, all these guys are reporting retail is one of the weakest parts in the Mm -hmm. economy. And not all retail, I should say brick and mortar retail, definitely is one of the weakest parts in the economy. And what we saw today was some companies popping on earnings because the expectation was just like you said uh, a loss of a certain amount or let's say same store sales. Macy's was down two and a half percent which was lower than the three percent decline that was expected. So the stock did well even though the overall market is down nearly a percent today. Uh, We see that in Kohl's as well. So none of these companies who are managing to defy earnings expectations are able to cover the real um, headline, which is same-store sales for Macy's uh, uh, for 10 quarters in a row has declined. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, at some point, you start getting a smell of Sears coming. I was going
1: to bring up yeah. Sears. To yeah. We made comments about Sears. Oh, my goodness. May have been a year ago or earlier this year when they sold off the Craftsman brand. Yes. And uh, we talked about that, and I thought the they sold the craftsman brand too cheap yes and uh you're selling your 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 money maker yeah yeah of course and and they were probably weren't at a
2: place to actually have a negotiation or leverage for that brand mm-hmm. they just needed the
1: cash to to just carry on and, and it didn't, didn't carry on very it, far it <laughs> <carry> on. <laughs> <laughs> now that being said if the expectation is a negative number and it's less of a negative number that's kind of the the street vernacular. Well, we didn't suck as bad as as we thought. That's kind right. of thing. How much of the earnings? Let, let's let's go back optimistic. Uh, I I think that sector is not necessarily indicative of the market as a whole. That's correct. So the market as a whole, the other sectors, uh, were the earnings, the expectation positive, and they outperformed the expectation? Yes. So the overall number so far is just
2: like uh, the earnings are coming in 10% growth year over year. Uh, It is coming on 5% revenue sales growth uh, year over year. So this is actually based on... New growth that's falling into the bottom line, uh, combined with uh, currency fluctuations that we have seen this year. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, there's a bit of a management expertise going into these companies' earnings performance, and the other part is what which you really can't control. It's just a matter of cyclicality of certain things, Congress, if you will. Right. Uh, and um, so overall, uh, the numbers are from 15 some percent to 10 some percent this quarter, and if you look at the projections over the next two quarters, you're looking at finishing the entire year at that point uh, four quarters in, close to double-digit numbers. Okay, Year over year. Year over year. That's going to be something that will provide a floor for uh, the S&P 500, even in the face of uh, quite a few political, geopolitical
1: headwinds coming in the second half. Now, you you said that uh, a lot of the earnings were were, uh Beat expectations are up 10% year over year, but more importantly, or at least as importantly, revenue was up. That's right. How much of the revenue being up is attributable to the dollar going down in value on the international market, and how much is attributable to, essentially, people spending more money? Well, that's a good question. Um, it's different company by
2: company. Uh, some companies feel the need to even... Uh, highlight in their earnings uh, calls uh, the impact that the dollar has had over their earnings. Companies like Pepsi and um, Caterpillar are going mm, to be Caterpillar is you know, a big one. Yeah. Um, and then there are other technology companies that may be mixed because they're uh, as um, you know prevalent in Asia as they're in Europe. So you kind of have a balancing feature to that kind of a distribution of sales over the rest of the world. But um, on a very simplified basis we have seen the dollar decline from december 31st 2016 to just 3 weeks ago as much as 9% okay, okay. so the 9% decline on a set of companies that generate about 43% of revenues from overseas you're looking at somewhere between 4 to 6% let's just call it about 4% or so at least for some of these companies who are finding the translation benefits what that means is you really didn't have to sell a whole lot more uh, if if your sales were flat you got a 4% bump in the revenues just
1: because of the impact of the dollar now what, what the, you know uh, that that correlates that, that time frame you mentioned of the dollar declining about 9% correlates really with President Trump yes Correlation is not causation. That's right. How much of that is attributable to um, a new president and maybe specifically this new president? Um,
2: I, I don't see too many um, correlations to a, a rapid decline like this when we're talking about seven nine percent declines in the first six months because that is really the honeymoon period. Mm-hmm. You don't see declines like that in that stage of the game. Uh, but if you just go beyond that and look at other asset classes besides the U- U.S. dollar, uh, the CFTC, the Futures Trading Commission, reported two days ago that the uh, they ha- they are finding about. billion committed to shorting the S&P 500, the highest amount in three years, uh, because they're shorting uh, based on certain expectations that this year is a lame duck for the administration. Kind of an anomaly. Anomaly, that's right. The other part that you're seeing is the other asset class, the small caps, the small capitalized stocks, generally under $500 million in in market cap, if you will. Um, They were the prime beneficiaries right after the elections, from November through December. The S&P 500, when it tracked 10% growth this year, there are small caps, which is supposed to be more volatile, and on a, on a good year, supposed to outperform large cap, they're barely keeping up at 4%. So you see the dichotomy there mm-hmm. between the two asset classes. So the things that performed based on some... Uh, some really abnormal expectations right after November 8th, those are the asset classes, they're just giving back all of it, basically. The the dollar we talked about, small caps we talked about, Uh, there are certain aspects of commodities and industrial space that would have benefited from an infrastructure package. I think they're starting to give up some of its gains as well. So I think this year pretty much is going to be really tight based on the calendar, and then we'll
1: see what the second year brings. Now, the 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 dollar going down in value in the, the international market, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's just a ratio, a measurement. That's right. Okay. Bad things can cause it, um, but good things can happen because of that. And one of the things you talked about earlier was some of the companies that do a lot of international business um, got kind of a... Uh, a kiss this quarter yes uh, a bump up because of the decline in value uh, what other sectors I, uh, my understanding is uh, emerging markets are benefiting tremendously from the dollar? How does that work? Yeah, so, uh, you know, we had talked about the high dollar actually having pressure
2: on the, some of the governments to be able to pay back their sovereign debt because when they're uh, selling debt denominated in dollars and the dollar keeps going up, you know, you all, all of a sudden find yourself having to pay a lot more. It's more uh, expensive to pay more off expensive. that debt. That's right. Yeah. So they got a relief as well. And then on top of it, uh, and, and this is this can be it's obviously in its own segment, the The scaling back of the United States presence from the 12-member block called the TPP Mm -hmm. has had some serious impacts already. If you look into the data... From agriculture to some of the other sectors, uh, the way China has approached and is setting up bilateral talks all over the world, and, and the U.S. is just sitting back in some of these to the detriment of you know farmers in Iowa, hog farmers, if you will, beef, and and those kinds of things. They are taking advantage. So the emerging markets are benefiting from that additional... Uh, sort of 800-pound gorilla not being in the room anymore, so you get to go out and play. Okay. Okay. So those agreements are putting in place, and people are finding some optimism from some of those emerging markets because they're able to set up certain favorable tariff arrangements that they may not have had uh, because they were under
1: the shadows of a... We're we're just not at the table. We are not at the table at all. So that that yep. gives them a, a negotiating advantage. That's, that, that's, exactly that's right. uh, Good for them, not necessarily good for us. Not good for us, for you sure. know, yep. in long term. Yep. Um, we got about a, a minute or so left. What what are you seeing as far as the forward guidance uh, out of this earnings? You mentioned that the next two quarters, the final two quarters of this year, uh, probably will end up uh, contributing to a double digit increase year over year that's correct uh what what are you seeing uh from those i don't want to say whispered numbers but forward guidance numbers the numbers are okay Um, I mean, nothing to blow your socks off, basically.
2: Uh, So we'll have to see how, as we approach, you know, uh, the third quarter, get past this August and September time frame, the debt ceiling raising and, Mm -hmm. and some of the brinkmanship that kind of comes with every time we have a debt ceiling debate. After we get past this, we have to just... Approach the final quarter in its own merits, which is you're going to have the back-to-school holiday sales, you're going to have certain other GDP numbers come in, just start to get the feel for, hey, are we doing anything different than the 2.2%, 2.3% GDP-style recovery, or this is going to scale up to anywhere around 3 mm-hmm. uh, The early indications are it's not going to. It's not bad. It's a Goldilocks economy. It's on its eighth year. And... um you know, the, the benefit of having a gold Goldilocks economy is you don't get bubbles.
1: Mm-hmm. You don't get bubbles. You get to have a bull market that goes on and on and on and on. Well, and that's right. what I was going to mention when you said that none of the forward guidance knocks your socks off. Doesn't yeah. that make it more believable? Yes, right. I mean, yeah, if, yeah. If, if I'm a company and I say, okay, we were up uh, 15% year-over-year year first quarter, uh, 12% year-over-year year second quarter. We expect to be up 18% year-over-year year third and fourth quarter. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, it yeah. kind of makes you step back and say, really? That's right. Um, although there is one sector
2: in the economy that can credibly say that that's the information technology sector. Right. Right. Uh, once again, uh, as the numbers have come in, they're in the top of the heap in terms of saying that this is what we are going to do and indeed actually doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, we we are keeping a close eye on that sector for sure. Healthcare was second in terms of uh, earnings performance year over year as well. Um, But going into the year, the first half has set the tone. And because it's been so uh, positive that even certain weaknesses in the second half will still make for a decent year for the overall market and for Mm -hmm. investors. I think pretty soon within the third quarter investors stop paying attention to the fourth one it's it's the one quarter that people pay the least amount of attention because right, right. that's when you start getting to strategic planning for the next year right and they want to know what next year
1: brings yeah so that gets. Well, to- and, you know, from an economic standpoint, you got the Christmas variable in there. That's, that's always right. a big kiss. That's right. Uh, to the economy as yes. well. So, yes. uh, well, Shams, once again, the the, uh, the the time just flies when we talk about this. It's very fascinating, your research into the earnings and what it means to the markets and the indexes and the companies mm-hmm. as a whole. Uh, thanks again for your time. We'll do it again soon. Thanks.
0: An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Economy of One with Gary
1: Rathbun. I wanted to uh, spend a little time. I, uh, this didn't get a lot of, of uh, news coverage, but uh, Congressman Dan Donovan, a Republican out of New York, I believe, and Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, a uh, Democrat out of Michigan, okay, have introduced a bipartisan bill called Zero Tolerance for Domestic Abusers Act. Now, I'm going to pick out, I'm going to read some sentences. And I want you to pick out the keywords here because this is right out of Propaganda 101. Okay. Uh, bipartisan Zero Tolerance for Domestic Abusers Act, legislation that protects survivors of dating violence and stalking by closing loopholes that allow abusers and stalkers access to guns. When I was a district attorney, the crimes that kept me up at night were the ones that could have been prevented. There are clear warning signs, including stalking conviction before somebody commits serious acts of violence against a current or estranged partner. It's common sense to keep tools of violence out of their hands. I know from experience, this legislation will save lives, and I'm proud to be part of it. No woman should ever live in fear for her life or safety because of domestic violence, said Dingle. In communities across the country, too many families experience senseless tragedies that could have been prevented. This bipartisan bill makes common sense updates to our laws, to protect survivors of dating abuse and stalking, and ultimately save lives. Every 16 hours, a woman is fatally shot in our country by an ex-spouse or intimate partner. And as a nation, we should be outraged, said former Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords, co-founder of Americans for Responsible Solutions. She said, this bill won't stop every act of violence but it does represent a major step forward that will help women and their families be safer now let's let's pick out the keywords there survivors okay so you're a victim dating violence and stalking okay closing loopholes loopholes okay um, to, do, to, do, to do common sense women and their families Okay, um, those words should be a red flag for you. They are for me, but this is how it happens, my friend. Common sense, victim, women, children, loopholes—all of those are code words for control over things in your life. Gary Rathbun, an economy of
0: one. back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun.
1: Joining me now is Jim Kukas. He's a columnist and blogger at the American Enterprise Institute. He's the editor of AE Ideas, a public policy blog of the American Enterprise Institute, where he's also a DeWitt Wallace Fellow and an official CNBC contributor. Jim, welcome back to An Economy of One. Hey, thanks a lot for having me back. Appreciate I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time. I want to talk to you a little bit About some of the job numbers coming out and the participation rate and and the unemployment rate, numbers on the surface looking pretty good, don't you think?
3: Yeah, I think uh, on the surface, and even if you uh, drill down a little bit, uh, the economy continues to generate uh, gobs of jobs, close Mm -hmm. to 200000 a month. Uh, it slowed down a, a little bit, uh, as one might expect, given the sort of the length of this expansion. But hey, listen, uh, uh, we're creating jobs. The unemployment rate uh, continues to fall. Uh, even you know some of these other measures, which you know people don't talk about quite as much, like labor force participation rate, right. uh, that seems to be strengthening. Uh, I think we'd like to see a little faster wage growth, but then again, you know, inflation's pretty low, so. Um, uh, you know, see so that doesn't take a chunk out of the wage growth. So, yeah, listen, uh, not 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 bad. Uh, we that can be doing that. a lot worse. So I think I think those numbers we should not dismiss them.
1: Before we get into the numbers a little deeper, I'd like to talk about the U3 and the U6 and that kind of stuff. But it's one of those things out there in the mainstream media. Has it been long enough? Has President Trump been president long enough to be able to legitimately take credit for some of this growth?
3: Well, listen, normally when I um, you know try to figure out the economic records of presidents, and again, you know uh, the economy just isn't the president. I mean, right. you know, the economy right. is also the private sector. I mean, uh, it's you know it's going to do what it's going to do. Uh, you know, you, you know despite what Washington does. Uh, I really like the. I, I I take that whole first year. Uh, of a president's term, and I really give it to the previous president. Okay. Um, so to me, uh, especially especially with this administration, where you know, they they still haven't you know passed tax reform, um, you know there's uh, you know they they still haven't figured out what their trade policy is exactly. So for me, so I would so I think looking back, we'll kind of add this to the Obama years and see we'll see what starts next year. But that that being said, there's no doubt that you know some. Some and it's hard to measure, but some of the uh, some of the growth you can I think you can reasonably attribute to especially early on that there were businesses where it seemed to be pretty enthusiastic about mm-hmm. anticipating those tax cuts and the deregulation and all that. So I think that's I I would toss a little bit of that in there.
1: Well, and and that was my thought because so much of business I'm a business owner, uh, especially small business. So much of it is whether we have an optimistic outlook for the next 12, 18 months or not. And yeah, yeah, I, I think, think so. that contributed to it quite a bit. So Right, uh,
3: and and, and there's, no, there's no doubt that often when we talk about the Fed, uh, how the economy is going to react to the Federal Reserve, a lot of that is – uh, you know, talking about how people anticipate what the feds going to do, where they think inflation's going to go. So I think that's the same with other kinds of policies. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily the single most important thing, but I think it's a factor and we should not write it off.
1: Now, you know, a hundred years ago when I took economics in college, back when we actually had blackboards and chalk and erasers, we were told, I was told that 6% unemployment was really considered full employment. Because at any given time, 6% of the working force is either in transition or just refuses to work. Today we're at 4%, give or take a, a couple of tenths. Would you consider us at full employment? And how much of that is based on people not being counted as part of the workforce anymore, the the permanently discouraged group? Right. All
3: right. Uh, I would say, listen, I, you know, the unemployment rate, we may be headed back down below four, which we haven't seen, uh, you know, since the Bush years, and then also, you know, during the Clinton years was under four for a long time. I would, I would say this way: um, the fact that we continue to create so many jobs, and the fact that we're not seeing, you know, a spike in wage growth, I think those two things alone would say that whatever that whatever that full employment rate supposedly is. That we're not quite there yet. I think you can make a reasonable argument that that we're we're getting there. We're not there yet. I I, I don't think we would be creating this many jobs every month, pulling people back into the workforce, uh, you know, from the sidelines if we were at that full employment rate. And I think we I think we'd probably be seeing wages grow a little bit faster. Um, so I think we're we're there. And remember, listen, you know, what I always tell people is that recession having a recession. With a major financial crisis and a housing collapse, we shouldn't be surprised that it's taken a long time to get back to that full employment rate. Uh, but I think, uh, I think we're there. And now I think it's time for people in Washington D.C. to take a step back and think: What are the big long-term things we need to do to make sure this is a fast-growing, prosperous economy? Um, you know, for the next generation and for us too. And that
1: leads right into to the next question. My instinct, uh, whenever we talk about Washington, is go home, do nothing, stay out of my way. Is there things that Congress can do to energize this even more and, and sustain it longer?
3: You know, I'm. I think the first order of business is to do the big, obvious things. Uh, all of which, and just 'cause they're big, you know, and obvious and you know it's the ones we all probably come off the top of our heads doesn't mean they're easy to do and it certainly doesn't mean Washington will do them right. um i think i think getting the getting the getting the social security and medicare getting that on a sustainable path getting the tax code uh that seems to be more globally competitive i think that's a big obvious thing uh we can do i think uh continuing to deregulate but particularly looking at regulations uh that may make it hard uh to grow a business uh, to start a business and then grow it big, wherever those might be, uh, I would look hard at those. Um, that, that kind of stuff I think you really need to focus on first. I mean uh, there are obvious things, but I think they're important. and but listen, I think there's a lot of great things happening deep in this economy, deep in the technology sector that are that I think eventually will result in this economy growing a lot faster. Uh, we may be, have to, we may have to be a little bit patient, but I, th- I actually think' you know good times uh, are on the horizon. Now, I would be remiss
1: if talking about jobs and unemployment, if I didn't ask you about immigration. I've got friends and clients in California in the agricultural business. They're having a tough time finding workers. Uh, I've talked to manufacturing companies here in Ohio. They're having a tough time finding workers. And part of it is, you know, skilled and unskilled, but also part of it is the drug addiction and marijuana and opioids and heroin and, and that kind of stuff. And locally here in Toledo I've had people manufacturers tell me they gotta interview sixty people to hire one. And then that one won't last a year. How big is the H two A, H two B aspect in
3: our our economy and, and workers? So I th- I think you can have a lot of debate and there's studies about whether we need lots and lots more uh, low skill immigrants in this country, mm-hmm. um, I think, I think the data shows that it, that to the extent they've had a negative effect on any, on any native workers it's probably pretty small, mm-hmm. uh, But so we can debate that but I think I think bringing bringing in more really smart, talented people um, that, I think that that is just a major win and it's an easy win. If we allow it, and the thing is, I think that window is closing. Uh, I think you have you have more and more people, India, China, other places. You know, they'll they can do their job from those countries, and they maybe they'd rather stay there. Uh, I thought so. I think we need to like you really be encouraged because other countries are competing for them too. But having those people, listen, I, the way I like to put it is that if you're if you're anywhere in the world and you're smart and you have a good idea and you think it's, you want to and you want to do something incredible with your life, I want you to think, "Gee, I would like to do that in the United States and america right. um, I, I think that I think that's a great thing I think part it's part of what makes us who we are and let's ha- and let's do more of that
1: well, and, and you know being a small business owner and and uh, a capitalist and conservative and all that, I welcome the toughest competition I can get, and if these people are really smart, like you say, and are innovative and want to work hard, uh, I got no problem. Having them come in and compete with them,
3: I think that's a force. I think that is a force multiplier. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure you've mentioned it. Like how how many of these fast growing technology companies were started by people of a first or second generation? Mm-hmm. Um, I think. Listen, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad those. I'm glad they're starting those companies here, not not somewhere else. Uh, I think they'll eventually do better here, and I think that's better for everybody. Um, so that's, you know, that that I would put pretty high on my list of things we should be doing.
1: Now, how important, in your opinion, is like the JOLTS report that came out today? That that blew away all kinds of expectations. Does that give us a fair indicator of the jobs numbers over the next 6, 12 months?
3: Yeah, listen, um, I know we oftentimes will talk about the U3 unemployment rate, the official unemployment rate, uh, you know, but the, but. We can't make any one number do too much of the heavy lifting, and so to really get a full picture of the job market, you gotta look, you know, and you have to sort of, and that's obviously that's the number you hear on the news the most. You really have to look at, uh, you know, the entire all these numbers, you know, whether the jobs reports or these U6 numbers or the labor force participation right, the employment topic. I mean, there's there's tons of them. They come out and take it together. Uh, and I think that's why it's so important that we, like, properly fund the government agencies that keep track of this stuff mm-hmm. uh, that to get, get a full picture of how this job market is doing. And I think if you do all that, you get a job market. First of all, it's a job market that a lot of other countries they'd be killing to have, right. uh, whatever its right. whatever, whatever false. And I think it, it shows this economy, I think, is – is in decent shape, and, 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 the, and the key takeaway here is it could be in better shape. Right. This is not as good as it gets, and I think it can be better. Man, we've got to come together and do some of these big, obvious things. So it's, so we set that foundation, uh, you know, both for ourselves and, and for our kids. I mean, that's what I think about all the time.
1: Final question, Jim. We get a lot of comments and talk a lot about automation and how robots are – are taking over and kiosks and mcdonald's are taking over my position has always been uh once again bring on the innovation that technology and and that kind of stuff will create more future jobs and uh, gdp growth for us you in that same same kind of category as i am
3: Uh, i think about this issue maybe more than any other issue right now um because a we need more. We need more innovation. Actually, we need more robots. We need more of that. But on, and on the other side, we have to make sure that uh, – and, and that we will create those jobs. And we got to make sure that our kids are ready for those jobs, that our workers can be retrained, even though it can be super hard to do that, that they can be retrained for those new jobs. So you have to get both sides of the equation. But I don't want to sell – I don't want to say, gee um, – We don't want to make the effort to retrain people, so I guess we should have less innovation. We should have we should have fewer robots. Uh, That that would be a way just to have a poorer country. So we want more we want more of what they call the creative destruction. uh, But we got to also make sure that we're training our people to take advantage of those jobs.
1: Well, and and the attitude of the people has to be: I'm willing to be retrained to take those jobs too. That's I think
3: I think that's what makes us American. That's to me that is the heart that we are we are willing to take the risk. Uh, and not just settle. And uh, if we lose that, then we, I think we've really lost them.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. We've been speaking with Jim Pethokoukas. He's a columnist and blogger at the American Enterprise Institute, one of our favorite people to talk to. Jim, once again, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate all the work you do. I read your articles, read your columns, and uh, very informative. And I hope we can tap you on the shoulder again soon and chat. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate, appreciate. it, Jim. Have a good evening. An Economy
0: of One, with Gary Rathbun. Back to An Economy of
1: One, with Gary Rathbun. Speaking of morons, came across an article while I was on on leave. It talked about new math. Now, you know me, I'm a math guy. I love math. Um, Always loved that stuff in school. Love the algebra, the calculus, trigonometry, all that kind of stuff. And uh, this article talked about the new math. Now, I had one of my clients that was helping their grandchild try to tell me how this worked, and I, I just didn't get it. And this article... Told me how it worked, and the same thing my client did, but it's a little bit different format. And I got it. So, Josh is a uh, Gen X here. You a math guy? No. Okay. No. So that you're gonna you're gonna help me prove my point. What is 32 minus 12?
4: Let me do my paper here. Oh, come on. Sure how it works.
1: Play with me. 32, 32 minus 12.
4: Minus 12 is that 20?
1: 20. Okay. Now we know that. Because we know that 12 from 32 is 20. hmm Okay, that's just almost instinctual.
4: It's, it's facts.
1: But if you had to show your work on paper, okay, 30, and then you put a minus 12 underneath of it, you draw a line, mm-hmm. 2 minus 2 is 0, 3 minus 1 is 2,
4: 20. I would show my work, and I would circle okay. it. Okay.
1: Now, the new way mm-hmm. of doing math, and you can write this down to, I'm going to. show how stupid it is. Give it to me. 32 minus 12 equals blank. Okay. So that's your question. To show your work, you take 12 plus 3 equals what? 15. 15. 15 plus 5 equals? 20. 20. 20 plus 10 30. equals 30. And 30 plus 2 equals
4: 32-hmm
1: so you add three plus 5 plus 10 plus 2
4: why yeah but why because that gives you 20 yeah but <laughs> so does the other way that that's I just showed right. I, but that's what, that's I'm, what saying. I'm saying why 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 well, do you need I do all it this?
1: that's what that's the new math that's what's, the politically correct way what's wrong with old math I don't <laughs> know I don't know 32 minus 12. 20. Okay. Even if you have to show your work, 2 minus 2, 0, 3 minus 1, 2, 20. This way they take the 12 and they add digits in base 10 to get up to 32. So you've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 steps to get to the 20, where the old way you have one step and if you don't show your work you will fail now is it any wonder that people are mathematically illiterate
4: i just don't know why <laughs> I, don't. I that's all i want to know like I, yeah. I i like to know things I like the reasoning behind things yeah i don't understand because look there's a lot of things in life that are not black and white it's very gray Mm. you know what's not black and white math Math. you know what i mean (laughs) like that's right if you get to the right answer it why does it matter if both are correct it's not like one is wrong and your ultimate answer you know isn't going to be the same if both steps take you i don't understand why that is there like I, i would guess you know look Look, let's say that helps people with, with some learning disabilities. It's like, hey, maybe this way is easier for you. That's cool. But the other one's not wrong. Old math isn't wrong.
1: Right. But, you know, the, the going back to creating wealth and being successful, <sighs> speed matters. Yes. Okay. Accuracy matters, but speed matters. They use the same method with a problem, subtract 38 from 325. So here's what you do. You write down 38. You add 2. To make it 40. To make it 40. Okay. Count up to the nearest 100. So you add 60. Count up to the largest possible 100. So that's 200. Added to the 100 equals 3. And count up to the larger number, 25. So you add... 2 plus 60 plus 200 plus 25, okay, to give you 287. Now, why you wouldn't take the 325, carry the 1, 15 minus 8 is 7, 31 minus 3 is 28, and you're done, 287. This is what I'm telling you is this generation that that is doing this kind of math will be handicapped tremendously in the future. I remember in school, the big thing was uh, calculators. We couldn't have calculators because you needed to know how to do the math.
4: Well, you, you know, know, and you're never going to be somewhere where you always have a calculator on you. Right. 2017, right here. <laughs>
1: The iPhone, right? This
4: is calculator in my hand.
1: Yep, yep. Well, it's more computing power there than it took to put a man on the moon right there in your hand. But uh, still, I think it's important to be able to to reason through things in your head. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. We'll see you next time.
2: The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor.